John, college football realignment, TV is the driving force. Let's talk about what just happened and what's next. And Andrew, I have a personal message for Orioles play-by-player Kevin Brown. Blink twice if you can hear us. They had lost their last 15 series here at Tropicana Field. You have to go back to when our now colleague Brad Brock picked up the win in the series finale June 25th. 2017, the last time the Orioles won a series here at St. Pete. And we're back. The Marshan Oran Sports Media Podcast. I'm Andrew Marshan, sports media columnist for the New York Post. He's John Oran, the media reporter for the Sports Business Journal. If you like this pod, you can uh, like it, you can uh, give us a comment, and you can follow John, let's get right to it. Who's up and who's down? Who's up? Who's down? Andrew, let me lead us off my who's up. Uh, Despite the U.S. women's national team losing in the knockout round of the World Cup, I'm going to give it to Carly Lloyd because if you were watching or listening to Carly Lloyd, you were not at all surprised to see the the women's team lose in the knockout round. And you weren't surprised to see the uh, the amount of troubles that they had uh, scoring during this tournament. Uh, Carly Lloyd was exactly what Fox wanted when they hired her. She's outspoken. She, she was new, so the, the, a little bit of rust, you know, a, a little rough around the edges. But she endured a lot of criticism because she was very, uh, extremely tough on her former team. And as a viewer... Uh, you, you don't want to see unfair shots. You do want to hear their unvarnished opinions. And I think Carly Lloyd was somebody who gave that during the entire tournament. John, my who's up? Richard Sherman. He's going to join Skip Bayless on Undisputed on FS1. Uh, no matter what you think of those shows, they do have an impact. And now if you look at Sherman's portfolio, he's on Amazon's Thursday Night Football, which was pretty well received in terms of their pregame and halftime and postgame show. Now we'll have a big voice uh, with Bayless on FS1. He's not fully replacing Shannon Sharp. He'll do, I reported the other day, 50 to 100 shows, mostly during the NFL. You can expect them mostly to be on Mondays and Tuesdays uh, after, you know, big Sunday NFL action. Uh, but going at it with Bayless, uh, Sherman, I don't think uh, we saw they've had some run-ins in the past. They had a big meeting a couple of, last month at some point uh, in Beverly Hills and for two hours, and I was told it went well. Uh, so he'll be joining uh, Bayless. They also like Keyshawn Johnson. Um, it's going to be a, you know, a lot of people joining the debate club here, uh, but Sherman gets the big role in terms of uh, being probably on Mondays, Tuesdays, maybe even appearing sometimes uh, via remote uh, you know, from Amazon's uh, studios, possibly uh, when they're on in, in market for every Thursday night game, which seems like could be a plus for Amazon to get even more publicity uh, on FS1 during those days. Uh, so my who's up, Richard Sherman. All right, I'm going to lead us off with a who's down. And the biggest shocker of the day, my who's down has nothing to do with my uh, Baltimore Orioles or Kevin Brown. My who's down is Roger Goodell and Adam Silver, who I semi-seriously believe are responsible for the death of the Pac-12. And that's because Roger Goodell oversaw $110 billion worth of rights deals for uh, out of the TV networks. You had ESPN, Fox, CBS, NBC, Amazon paying about $5 billion more 
for for NFL rights. And that money has to come from somewhere. It's not like they got got added inventory from the NFL. It's still the same games that they're going to have to sell advertising against. And advertisers aren't going to foot that bill. And you look at what's happening with ESPN and the broadcast networks, for that matter, their distribution is going down. So the money that they're getting from cable operators, from satellite distributors, that's going down as well. That NFL deal, we all worried that it was going to take a lot of money out of the market. It really took the money out of the market. And I threw Adam Silver in there as well, because you have NBC, CBS, Amazon. You have these companies that want to bid on NBA programming when their deal comes up. And they're trying to save their pennies because they know that's going to be a big deal as well. So why did the Pac-12 not get the uh, media money that it was expecting? It has a lot to do with the NFL deal that that happened and with the NBA deal that's about to happen. My who's down is John Orant. What? What? (laughs) (laughs) What is going on with your Orioles? Anybody who listens to this podcast knows you're having a great year with how well the Orioles are doing. They're on pace to win 100 games. They're in first place. But they're in utter embarrassment, John. I hold you accountable. Uh, let's give credit where credit's due. Matt Jurgensen from Baltimore Sports Pub and then Awful Announcing had the story uh, in terms of Kevin Brown being off the air for a couple of weeks. Uh, John, it's an embarrassment. So we're going to talk about it later in the topics. But let's just go through it here. This is what Kevin Brown said on Masson. Uh, this is most of it, of which got him got kicked off the air for a couple of weeks. Uh, by John Angelos, who's really the who's down, John Angelos, by John Angelos and Masson and the Orioles for this this comment, uh, which isn't even, it's just a statement of fact. There's a graphic involved. And then we're going to go through all the announcers who uh, came to Kevin Brown's defense. Here's Kevin Brown, first Baltimore Orioles play-by-player on TV. It's been a minute. The Orioles split a two-gamer with the Rays in June. They had lost their last 15 series here at Tropicana Field. You have to go back to when our now colleague Brad Brock picked up the win in the series finale June 25th, 2017. The last time the Orioles won a series here at St. Pete. Already got three and two of the chop this year after winning three of 18. The previous three years combined. It is a stark difference, Ben, and it is not a bad Rays team. It's not like all of a sudden the Rays uh, became slouches in the American League East. They've led this division every day, but now two And the Orioles, once again, are back alone in first place. Okay, reacting to the suspension, Gary Cohn on SNY. During a recent game at Tropicana Field in St. Petersburg, Kevin, during his opening, talked about how the Orioles had had trouble winning in the past at Tropicana Field, but that they were doing better this year. That was really all he said. And for that, the Baltimore Orioles management decided to suspend Kevin Brown. Let me just say one thing to Baltimore Orioles management. You draped yourself in humiliation when you fired John Miller, and you're doing it again. And if you don't want Kevin Brown, there are 29 other teams who do. It's a horrendous decision by the Orioles. I don't know what they were thinking, but they've gotten exactly the reaction that they deserve. And it's just a shame because the Orioles are playing so well, and now they've diverted attention from that and now made themselves a laughing stock. All right, here's Michael Kay on Yes. They should be ashamed of themselves because not only was what Kevin said in the Oriole notes that night, but it was on a graphic, which means that it was planned. So if you're going to be so thin-skinned to suspend Kevin Brown, 
Then you have to suspend the entire Oriole truck, the producer, director, graphics. You have to suspend all of them because they're all complicit in this. And if John Angelos, the owner of the Orioles, didn't like that, then he's thin-skinned, he's unreasonable, and he should actually get a call from Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, because it's unconscionable that you would actually suspend a really good broadcaster for no reason whatsoever. He didn't do anything wrong. And let's finish it off with Dave O'Brien on Nesson. Somebody didn't like the facts very much, and that's a fiasco. John, an utter embarrassment for the Orioles. I was tempted to tweet out, well, the Orioles have a point as a joke. <laughs> as a joke. Nobody would have gotten it, maybe. So I didn't do it. But like, there is no other side. I always try to look at everything and say, all right, what's the other side? What don't we know? Uh, there is no other side. The story was even picked up by the cable networks like CNN and MSNBC. Uh, it's a, the Orioles, what are they doing? They're the feel-good story of the year. I think John Angelos lives in his own reality. I think that's criticism. Um, I just think they're trying to uh, just have a Pravda approach to things. Uh, but an utter embarrassment for John Oran. And you, my friend, are my who's down. We are going to talk about this in the topics, and I'm going to try to give you the team's perspective. I'm going to try, okay? There is no team perspective, but you can wait for that. All right, let's move to the topics. And this has been a topic we are approaching next week's our 100th show. We've talked about this topic a lot, the Big 12, the Pac-12, before that, the Big 10, and what's going on in college football with realignment. And we all know that which has been good for this pod, you know, especially that, you know, team- Andrew, we've gotten some grief from people saying, oh, wait, why do you talk about the Pac-12 so much? This is why. This is why we were. Yeah, we saw the hurricane coming. We've been reporting on it. That's why it's kind of weird when you see some of the uh, heads of these universities saying we are blindsided that they that these deals uh, didn't come to fruition with any of the networks. So the Pac-12 is now the Pac-4. John, how did we get here? You know, we got here about uh, a year ago. Um, ESPN and, and Fox, uh, and I believe Amazon as well, were interested in, in cutting a deal. Uh, and and so they were interested in a deal that is essentially what the Big 12 got. It was going to be a little bit more maybe than than the uh, than, than the Big 12 ended up signing. And the u- university presidents at the Pac-12, they, they had just gone through a uh, how many years of Larry Scott. They didn't trust the home office. Uh, they and they have the Pac-12 has a certain arrogance about themselves. And they, they felt like we needed to be part, uh, the Pac-12 needed to be part of um, the SEC money or the Big Big Ten money. And so when they saw the, the money that they were going to get for that TV deal, they rejected it out of, out of hand because they know, no, we need to be up. This is where you were the first one to say we're hundreds of millions, they were hundreds of millions of dollars apart and they were. Well, let me just say, and this, you're saying that when they had this offer, this is after the Big 12 deal is already done? You think they could have had an no, offer? No, no, no. This, this was before. This was okay, before. That's, what, the that's big... what I thought. Okay. Like, that's what I had to. Before the Big 12 deal, before the Big 12 made the great move to step in front of the line and get a deal done, even though they weren't up for a couple more uh, seasons, they stepped in line. The Pac 12 let that pass. Um, and then they were hundreds of millions of dollars apart with ESPN and then Fox. Uh, and then 
as it moved on, Amazon went out of the picture. We've kind of known for a long time. I don't like to report anything is like someone's done because things change, but I've known for a long while that Amazon was out. We'd said unlikely a lot, um, but they were been out for a long time. Once uh, Brett Yormark went over, and this is why Brett Yormark, in terms of executive of the year, like he came over, he knew that the networks were talking to uh, to the Pac-12. He knew that they were far apart. And it, like he ended up doing a deal that, again, this, this is uh, going, going back to my who, who's down, uh, Goodell and, and Silver. It took money out of the market. And all of a sudden, there just wasn't money there for the, for the Pac-12. Uh, and so two years ago, if you had told me, uh, the Big 12 versus a Pac-12, of course, a Pac-12 was going to uh, last longer than the, the Big 12. Uh, but the Big 12 did the TV deal. Uh, there, there was some thought it was risky when they did it because there was some thought if you wait, then there's going to the deal's going to get better because that, that's what's happened in the TV business for the past, you know, two decades, pretty much. Uh, and so the Pac-12 had no money coming from uh, or, or not really good money coming from. Uh, the TV companies, you had streamers like Amazon and like Apple, which, you know, had been paying a lot for sports rights. But all of a sudden, Wall Street looked at the streaming companies and said, you know, we you're spending too much on content. We need you to focus on profits. All the streaming companies sort of step step, step back from making these big payouts. So, you know, uh, Amazon was out and Apple did a deal that a lot of the university presidents took a look at and said, like, that's not a good deal. Like, we, we'd sooner go to the Big 12 or, the, or, or whatever, the ACC potentially, than do that deal. John, before we get to the Apple portion of it, you, you hit on something that I think is the most important thing when you talk about the misread by the Pac-12 uh, in terms of the market and what George Kliakoff, their commissioner, what they got wrong. And that was, instead of saying, this is the marketplace um, in terms of what we should get. We're working against the $1 billion a year that the Big Ten just got from uh, Fox, NBC, and CBS. Instead, it was all this money drained out, and the, these, these networks now feel as if they don't have money just to spend, which you've hit on a lot over the course of the podcast of when we've talked about this. And that was the big misread, and that was the great read by the Big 12 and Brett Yarmark and his advisors in terms of stepping in front of the Pac-12 and realizing that. And you can go back to Larry Scott, and we will a little bit. Um, you know, let's hit on that, actually. Let's go, before we get to Apple, let's hit on where how we got here. First off, give me your top three culprits for why we're here and why the Pac-12 may not exist. I mean, we're doing this, we're taping this on Tuesday, comes out Wednesday. Things are moving, possibly, in terms of Stanford and Cal, possibly going to the ACC. Uh, we don't know where that will go in terms of the near term, but the conference might not exist. John, now, we've been fortunate for the podcast, not as fortunate for the Pac-12, although maybe if they'd listened to the podcast, they wouldn't have been as surprised. Um, and perhaps some of them did. I think we, we got some feedback, so I do think they listened. And thanks for listening to all of them. But when you look at the top three culprits, especially from a media perspective, because that's what's driving this is TV has been driving this. When you look at going back in terms of how we got here, because what was it, 2012, the Pac-12 signed the richest uh, deal for any conference um, when they inked with Fox and ESPN and they started the Pac-12 network, which the Pac-12 network kind of didn't work out, um, which is an understatement. Uh, and so when you look at it, your top three culprits for how we got here. Yeah. And it's important that you said a media perspective. I mean, not only are we the sports media podcast, but the, it, it is a media money that's dri driving this. 
and I wish I could uh, answer this with more specificity, but I'm going to lump my, my number one uh, culprit. I like how we're not saying villain. Our number one culprit okay, is culprit. just the group of university presidents. There was a deal to be had and they were the ones who uh, the, the, who, who rejected it. Uh, the d deal to be had with, with ESPN and with Fox early on before the, the Big 12 ended up doing their deal. Uh, not only did they reject it, but they they would negotiate in the press and they would give false deadlines and they would talk about money and they did everything that uh, that media executives don't do during uh, during negotiations. The university presidents did, and they had an overinflated view of the Pac-12 standing in the college marketplace. They were caught completely off guard by these. Uh, overwhelming uh, trends that are happening in, in the media business. If there's one culprit, it is the, the group of university presidents right there. Okay. And then number two, um, I think on your list, because I had access to the rundown, uh, with Larry <laughs> Scott, uh, the former commissioner who, you know, the big, the big mistake, right? When you look at from a media perspective was when they went to the PAC 12 network and they did it without a partner. You know, the Big Ten is partnered with Fox. That's helped them out a lot in terms of, it's great for Fox. I mean, it's a, even better for Fox than probably is for the Big Ten. But, uh, but that partnership helps them out a lot. SEC is aligned with ESPN, helps them out a lot. Pac-12 decided to do their network by themselves, could not, had no leverage in trying to get some carriage, a carriage um, with the uh, cable companies. That was a major issue. Uh, and I think that's, a large reason why they're there, because I said this a number of times, once you fall behind uh, in the TV game, it's hard to come back. The Big 12 has made a tremendous comeback, not really even a comeback, but just made um, great reads in terms of where to go. Um, the Pac-12, and we, we'll get an Apple deal in a moment, or the Apple offer, even if they'd done the Apple offer, I think it was inevitable that the Pac-12 was going to go, it was going to break up or gonna teams were going to leave because it likely wouldn't be successful. Even if it was financially successful, it would not likely be successful in terms of what the other conferences, where they were going. Uh, and so we can, we'll get that into a moment in a moment, but Larry Scott, where does he fit in here? Yeah, I, I have him at number two for all the reasons that, that you outlined. And I also want to go back because you, you mentioned the, the, the deal that they did in 2012 where they were the, the it was the richest deal a, a college conference did. That deal uh, ended up being a, a disaster for the Pac-12. Back then, they had a handshake agreement with NBC. And th that was back when uh, Dick Ebersol was running it. And NBC wanted to have, you know, Pac-12 programming, and it would have uh, Notre Dame football uh, le leading into it. And it was going to be a big part of NBC's schedule. Well, uh, Fox and ESPN did not want NBC, did not want to give NBC any kind of foothold in it. What ended up happening was Larry Scott reneged on the deal with uh, NBC. He ended up doing the deal with uh, with uh, Fox and, and ESPN. And now when that deal comes up with uh, with everything with the network that, that you talked about as well, like where do you think they would be right now if they had a nice primetime slot on NBC and NBC actually invested in it and 100%. marketed it? And that, like they, they, they would be fine right there. That I think that was another 
colossal misstep uh, by, by Larry Scott right there. He also ran the, the, the conference in such a way that he didn't have a lot of support uh, among the athletic directors. It created the situation where number three on my list, which is the current commissioner, uh, George Kliakoff, came in and he, he's sort of the sitting commissioner. He came into to, uh, just a, an awful situation and just wasn't able to rectify it. We saw firsthand how hard it was to get all of the athletic directors and all the college presidents all to to sing from the same hymnal, so to speak. And uh, and, you know, that's the role of the commissioner is to try to wrangle them. Imagine Jim Delaney, you know, the, the former commissioner at the, the Big Ten, you know, that that was what he was great at. That's what Sankey at the SEC is great at. He, he sort of gets everybody in line. So number three on my list is is uh, Kliakoff just because he wasn't able to like there are all these different factions and that's sort of what we're seeing here with the split up okay now I got a little one of these deep thought moments maybe I can get some like Jack Handy uh, music underneath me deep thoughts uh, old school people will remember that but I think one of the issue, one of the hard things in business and in life is sometimes when you long for yesterday and you need to be thinking about tomorrow I went deep there, John. Uh, and let me explain what I mean by that. I think the Pac-12 was so lost in, you know, what they were. And, you know, they lost UCLA and USC. And at that point, you have to realize it's a different world. You just lost the LA market. You could argue two of your, your two most marketable teams. Uh, and I know they've been good. They've been bad. Um, but they're still LA, second biggest market in the country. And that's important to TV. Um, and so, when that happened, that's when they needed to readjust and say, all right, expectations have to change. We can keep the conference together. So now let me bring it to Apple, okay? And I wrote this in my newsletter, uh, New York Post Sports Plus, every Monday newsletter plus, um, is that I do think this says something about Apple TV Plus, okay? They made an offer that was good enough to refuse, now, Apple has the money where they could have made it so it was $30 million a team. Now, I understand, and I don't know this firsthand, but from reporters I respect, like Jason Shear, who, who covers Arizona, um, and, and others who've said that they didn't want, like especially Arizona, didn't want streaming, only streaming. So maybe there's no deal ever to do. But at least if you'd gotten a $30 million guaranteed, not even counting production, so maybe it's 32 33 then I think it had a chance to keep the league together. So if you're reading the market correctly, and I understand the digital players, these major companies, Apple, Amazon, they pencil out everything. They want it to all make sense and to make money. And if you want to be in the sports game, though, it can't always make sense. And maybe they don't really want to be fully in the sports game. They only want to be in where there's not much risk, which is what the offer they made. There wasn't much risk for Apple in terms of doing this deal. Um, you know, it would be a couple hundred million dollars guaranteed. And then from there, the Pac-12 universities would try to have to figure it out. If it was successful, it'd work out for both of them. It makes sense. It's practical. It's very smart in that regard. But if you want to be in sports, you can't always be fully practical to get in. And Apple so far has not shown that, you know, first Sunday ticket, now this deal, they just don't seem to be all in yet. Andrew, you, you hit on one of the most important parts of that Apple deal too. And it, it happened, it happened with the, uh, the MLS Apple deal. The PAC 12 deal was 20 to 25 million per school. Right. Mm -hmm. But what about the production costs? The, 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 each school was going to have to produce their own football games, their own basketball games, their, their own Olympic sports games. So all of a sudden that number 20 to 25 
like that's the gross number. What's the net number there? Yeah. I, I've I've heard different things about like yeah, to, in order to do production, it's like what five to ten million per school, or, is, or is, uh, I mean, I think I was conservative and said two and a half to five million because you know. I, but let's just we don't know the exact number. It's millions of dollars. So um, you know, it's millions of dollars, and that is an impact from that number. So you're really even further away from the big 12, 31.7 per school number. In the Pac-12's defense, that's how Apple does their deals. That's the deal that they, they, they have with, with MLS. Uh, I, I know, I know, uh, I know a ton of people that have negotiated with Apple. This is part, this is part of what they do. And there's a gross number that's out there that looks good and feels good, but uh, uh, underlying it are these added costs, like the production costs, especially that, that really bring that down uh, significantly. All right, now let's go what's next and what it means for the overall market. And college football um, is going to have their playoff expanded. Um, I think they think they're getting a billion dollars. From what I'm told, they're not getting a billion dollars, at least from the networks. Look, I do think if I'm Amazon, that's one I'm looking at closely. I'm just because I do think it fits into what they like to do because those are singular games and impactful right like again maybe not as impactful as they could be but they kind of have the infrastructure now the production they get from nbc for thursday night football predominantly so they'd have to figure that part out but maybe there's a partnership that they could do with somebody um and i do think that's a way for amazon to possibly get in there but espn and fox are obviously the favorites you know a lot of people think like now those two really can make it so they have such leverage in the college game. A lot of people think that, you know, Fox and ESPN are the favorite and then maybe they are, but it's going to be pure money at the end of the day, I think. Uh, so Amazon could have a chance, but the overall point that I'm trying to make is that I don't think they're going to get as much money as maybe they anticipated. I think it's kind of a similar situation that what just happened to the PAC 12. It's not going to be as extreme. There's definitely going to be bidders, maybe a lot of bidders. I just don't think anybody's going to go crazy um, for, these extra playoff games um, because of where the market is. Our job over the next two years or three years, uh, however long, is to figure out what properties are nice to have, like the Pac-12, like the MLS, like all of all of the properties that did Apple deals couldn't sign TV deals. And what's must-have programming? The NFL's must-have programming. I would suggest that the CFP championship is must-have programming. Maybe I think the semis is must have programming. But once you go down to sort of the early rounds, this isn't like the men's basketball tournament or the women's basketball tournament where you see great upsets in, in round one. Uh, you're, you're not seeing, you know, Boise State upset Alabama in the first round of, uh, of the college football playoff. And I think that plays into it as well. But there are these overarching trends and the TV companies, the media companies are going to pay for the rights that um, that they deem to be important rights, but the nice to have the nice to have networks uh, that that line is an ever changing line, and seeing what happened to the Pac-12 with the great big brands that they have in the Pac-12 has been really eye opening to me. This was early rounds aren't going to do as well. I don't, but I do think you could have some upsets and you always use Alabama as the example, but they're always like a four seed that maybe could play Boise state and lose. I mean, yes, <laughs> Alabama and 
Georgia probably. I mean, what was the, what was the final score uh, of last year? There was the TCU and and, and Georgia. That, like, I know, but I'm just saying. I'm not saying every year, but there could be some excitement. I think you're downplaying a little bit the chance of an upset or at least a competitive game. But I agree. But here's the overall point: is that I think they might get less money than they anticipated. We uh, agree on that. Ha- yeah. that. That is something that they're going to have to figure out to do the best deal possible. Um, and that's where like a digital player. The other thing is, if you're Amazon, once you have the NFL. Like if the idea is just to add prime members and, you know, the, Amazon owns a night. Like to me, that was a brilliant deal. Um, now, does it all, you know, again, pencil out fully, perfectly? Probably not, in my opinion, but I don't know all the numbers. But they own Thursday nights for 15 weeks of the year. Uh, that's not bad for a digital company when you're trying to grow in this space. And let's move to the NBA TV rights. I think Amazon... Um, from what I've heard and even off of what we've seen, I think it's clearly moved ahead of Apple in terms of, you know, potentially getting a night um, on with the NBA um, I, and some playoffs as well. Uh, they seem to have the infrastructure. They seem to have the plan that fits into more what the NBA wants to do. I think the NBA would love to be, you know, in business with Apple, like anybody at Apple's Apple's Apple. Like we've kind of got, I've gotten on them a little bit for their sports plan, but they're one of the great companies of all time and they still are. But um, so I think the NBA would like to be in business with them. I just don't know if it really fits into what they're doing. Eddie Q said recently uh, that, you know, one of the top Apple executives who oversees sports that they really want to do these all encompassing deals. And I don't think that's available with the NBA, at least not at this point. So I don't know. I think Amazon's moved past uh, the Apple. If you're, if I was, laying favorites again not a done deal not reporting anything so i don't want it to um just make it clear but in terms of where it stands at the moment yeah when we talk about uh must-have programming and nice-have programming the the nba is set up as must-have programming and where where, uh the nba is going to greatly benefit is we can identify multiple bidders at least more than one bidder for the number of packages that they're going to have we know that uh Bob Iger, Jimmy Pitaro, and ESPN are desperate to keep uh, the 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 uh, the NBA rights, and they want to keep the finals uh, as well. And uh, I wouldn't say desperate. I just think there's a feeling that they're going to keep them. You think they're desperate for it? I mean, they have a lot yeah, of Yeah, you know what? I, I My editor would have taken out desperate, and I I, I wouldn't have allowed that in. Well, just, Talking is hard, they, Andrew. I think they want them. Yeah, I think they no, want they, them. They, they want them. And I think, it's a, I think there's a great relationship there. I think that Iger – I think it might have happened regardless, but I think it will be even easier because the relationship with Iger and the NBA and Silver um, – they got rid of Van Gundy. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> I know that was nothing to do with the NBA. I got it. But I think that relationship's very strong and both sides are very happy. And yes, it'll be an increase, less games, less regular season games, uh, potentially. Uh, and that's where Amazon comes in to kick in. So they do get that increase, you know, a slight increase, but I don't think it's going to be the crazy numbers that have sometimes been reported. I, again, they're going to do really well. It's going to be a huge it, number. Yeah. It's going to be maybe maybe a doubles, but it's not tripling. I know that's been out there before. It's not happening. Yeah, and we we know that Turner wants to keep its its package. We know that NBC is extremely interested in in getting in and getting its package. Uh, we know that Amazon is interested in in getting a package. Uh, Apple is always a a big question mark, but uh, everything has suggested that they that they're going to more than kick the tires on this as well. So you have more bidders than packages. So when when we talk about the overlying trends in the media business, I don't see that affecting the the NBA uh, nearly as much as uh, like the, the Pac-12 or, or MLS for that matter. 
And we, before we move to Kevin Brown and the Orioles. Yeah, come on. I'm dying for Kevin Brown and the, the Orioles. The embarrassment of your franchise. The one thing I will say, and I, we talked about this last week, and I get it. Apple's always mentioned, like, if CBS goes up for sale, Fox, like, if Fox goes up for sale, Apple, 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 because they have so much money, but they never really seem to buy everything. But I do think that relationship with ESPN, if their plan is to sell subscriptions, they want to be the hub. It seems to me to make so much sense to do a deal with ESPN and you'll be able to sell subscriptions and make it the de facto cable in the future goes through Apple. Like how do you get your sporting events goes through Apple? Maybe there's a deal with Amazon too. I mean, that's possible for ESPN. I just think if you like were to add up and how long it would take for Apple to get the rights that they want to do to put their plan in place and maybe they're just going to wait everyone out for 10 years, maybe that will work. They could do it. In a year from now or two years from now, when ESPN goes direct to consumer in partnership with them, where they make it that um, they're selling subscriptions, they're not doing the production. To me, that makes total sense. They have basically, they'd be in almost every sport there is. um, And uh, that makes a lot more sense than trying to pick up rights as we go along here. That's key as a direct to consumer. The only hesitancy I have with agreeing with you full stop on that is that, uh, look, cable a cable TV channel is Apple's a Ford-looking company. It it has no interest. No, I'm not saying that. Not to do cable TV is to sell direct to consumer yeah. and to become the worldwide leader. Um, sorry, Chris Lapaka, head of PR, but um, for ESPN. When did they stop saying that? I said, you know, he stopped saying it. He said it once, but I wasn't even going to say ESPN. I was going to say Apple could become the worldwide leader in sports you know, worldwide with using ESPN as, you know, as the linchpin and then as the, as everything develops over and streaming is going to become very important. I mean, might, might not, it might've taken a speed bump here. This is the future. Um, it still is, and it's going to be, but if you start in with ESPN 10 years from now, does everyone need to sell through Apple? I mean, that that's kind of Apple's, that's what they've done historically uh, in all these other uh, genres from music to video. Um, and so that seems to me, and then you take your 10, 15% cut um, and, or 30% cut, whatever it is. Leagues, be careful. I mean, the people that go into bed with Apple, like the, 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 the music and everything, like like that's tough. That, 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 100%. Well, that's the other thing. You have to have your eyes wide open. Yeah. All right, John, we're doing a, only three topics today, but we have to get to this one. Is Kevin Brown, Orioles TV play-by-player. It was my who's down. You're my who's down, John. All you do is talk. <laughs> Adley Rushman, Orioles every week. We're a sports media podcast. You have to hear about the Orioles. Now, finally, it actually is a sports media podcast um, talking about the Orioles. Utter, as Gary Cohen said, as Michael Kay said, as Dave O'Brien said, Jason Benetti doing the White Sox took a shot. An utter embarrassment for the Orioles. Please explain your franchise. Let me take the team perspective on this. Please. First do. of all, first of all, you know what I think of Kevin Brown. I've I, He's been... Uh, the call of the week more times than any other announcer, I believe, in Love Kevin Brown. Uh, uh, podcast history. 33 years old. I think the best young uh, play-by-player in baseball right now. I think he's he's really, really well, good. Is, is Benetti young? Uh, he's older than Kevin Brown. He, I, yeah, he's older. Is Joe Davis young? Oh, Joe Davis. Is Adam Amin young? Oh, all right. I just want you to find young. I mean, you're, just, you're throwing out these. This is a worldwide podcast. You're throwing out the crowd. I mean, I think Kevin Brown's very good. I just I'm, team, know I'm team Kevin Brown. I'm team, it sounds I, like I Joe Buck. I young. Uh, all right, fine. Go ahead. Uh, Kevin Brown, by the way, when he does uh, home run calls, 
He has his home. He's run. excellent. He sounds like Joe Buck. He's he has his good. home run call, and then he does like two more home run calls after that. That, that I think just pop into his head. It's it's great. It adds to the excitement. Um. All right. So so the the Orioles' perspective. Uh, he was not suspended. Nobody ever nobody ever said that uh, that that he was suspended. Nobody told him he was suspended. The RSN business is rapidly changing, and they just want to try new uh, play. Stop smile. Stop laughing. <laughs> no, I'm trying to get through this. <laughs> we like to be fair. If you're writing a story, we'd put their side of. And when I covered A Rod during Biogenesis and MLB, you know, we we covered Wally Matthews and I covered. Uh, you know, the A-Rod side of it, even though it was ludicrous, his side, but we covered it and we put it in the stories. Then MLB may have gotten mad at us, but um, back then, but the, so the point is that you have to, we have to give their side of it, even if it's ludicrous. And even though, you know, it's ludicrous, but go ahead. The RSN business is totally changing. They're an independent RSN and they are trying uh, desperately to just make changes and see what works. And so they had a couple of series that came on and they, they brought in some other play-by-play people to, uh, say, you know, as part of the rotation. Um, under contract, Kevin Brown has, I think, 120, 130 games a season. Mm. So, so there is plenty of opportunity for the team to just put put in some other people to to uh, try them out and and let the, see what happens. That makes sense. Okay, well, let's move on then. I mean, that's good. The <laughs> Orioles explained it. Now it's all good. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, I think it's fine then. You're right. That, you know, I was dying to tweet out that or- let's, the Orioles, I think, had a point. There's no point, right? Like, even what you're there saying is, it's just ridiculous. Look, Kevin Brown has. has it, look, actually, you, you did this as, as a who's down. So uh, I'm actually a little bit emotional about this because I have watched, I have watched this team almost every game this season. Kevin Brown is. Uh, somehow Masson lucked into an elite play-by-play announcer and and it, he's been fun and he's 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 brought the excitement he has a a great rapport with uh, Jim Palmer Hall of Famer from uh, from the Orioles Ben McDonald uh Ben, ben McDonald mentions LSU a little too often on the telecast but yeah but a great rapport with with uh with the analysts in there and he calls a really good game and and uh, you can tell by the the number of uh, uh, posts on social media, my, my Twitter feed in particular, uh, Oriole fans really have taken to Kevin Brown. And so the, uh, the the idea of let's let's try this isn't spring training. Let's try out new announcers. You don't do that when you're playing the Yankees and you're in first place. After we, after several seasons of losing 115 games, 112 games, 110 games, like we're finally here, and it's and it's been a lot of fun. It it it, uh, it to me it it suggests that Masson just it needs somebody with steeped in TV experience that would just kind of say like, yeah, we don't do this right now. We 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 have the voice, and let, let's let's use that voice as long as we can. When a story is not your story, the job is also to still find out what's true what's not true to do make your calls afterward and awful announcing did most of the reporting after Matt Jurgensen and what they reported was all correct. So, you know, that's the issue for Madison and the Orioles. The story is correct. I mean, were the word suspended used? Um, as far as I know, I don't think so. So, you know, they take a little license there perhaps, but he was kept off the air. He would have been doing those games. They had a problem with the, what we, the, 
innocuous statements about how they had lost. It's a statement of fact. Like, that's what you want. Like, the other thing is about for Kevin Brown. Now, I think this is going to be great for his career. He's going to have to decide if he wants to stay there. But stay. Kevin, all- stay. Stay, yeah, Kevin. Yeah, I, mean, I think he has some roots in there. Um, I he think- bought a house in Baltimore, apparently. So. Yeah, apparently he bought it. Yeah, so, you know, there's a good chance he could stay. But it does hurt your credibility um, in terms of your, your broadcast. Um, so he's going to have to decide that. But it's been great for his career. You got Gary Cohen, uh, who's about as respected as they come as a play-by-player. Um, with you know who does the Mets saying that all 29 other teams would uh, want Kevin Brown. I don't know if Gary's giving up his job, but he is very good. So this is going to be good for Kevin Brown in the long run because he, he's his name's gotten bigger. He didn't do anything wrong, but it is it's a difficult situation for anybody. Like who wants to be in the middle of this? And he didn't even do anything wrong. And you know people just read like suspended. And even like on that CNN clip that you tweeted out the. Um, one of the anchors said, well, is there more to the story? And like, that's difficult because, you know, you always kind of think there got to be more to the story. It's so stupid, but there is no more to the story. There's no behind the scenes. Something happened. There's no, there's no, there's no, there's nothing there, but that he does have to deal with that a little bit long run. It's better for him. Um, and hopefully these teams understand that. And even if he was slightly critical, it's better. As Tim McCarver said years and years ago, there's no praise without criticism. If you just praise everything and say, this is always great and you just have your agenda and you always talk about one thing and always say it's good and never say any of part of it is bad, um, it, it, you lose credibility. And it's also kind of – and so you know, hopefully the Orioles maybe learn something from it. My read is John Angelos lives in his own world. And is like looks at that as criticism because, you know, he's I don't know if he's a billionaire or what he is, but he owns a baseball team. So he has a lot of money. Uh, And so uh, it's just not in reality. Um, And so for Kevin Brown, he'll be okay. Supposedly he's going to be back on the air, you know, this weekend. They have a long road trip. So if he's not there, you know, then then I don't know when he's going to be back. Um, but this isn't tryout season. I mean, that's the stupidest thing ever, especially when you have somebody who's really good. It's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's utterly ridiculous. There's really no, I, again, look at the other side. There is no other side. Let me, uh, I just want to say one more thing on this topic and it's, uh, it's Oriole fans, longtime Oriole fans are, uh, really suffering from PTSD almost, uh, with this because, uh, one of the greatest baseball broadcasters of all time, John Miller used to used to handle our uh our radio broadcasts the, the team's radio broadcast he used to be on on uh Orioles uh telecasts and in the mid 1990s Peter Angelos the, the then owner didn't like that he was doing as many ESPN games as as he was doing and uh he didn't necessarily fire him but cer- certainly sort of ushered uh, uh John Miller out which took away like that's the way that that was the voice there was a connection that fans had to John Miller and he would do like his Vin Scully imitations. And he, he was, he was utterly a fantastic way to follow the game. And then it just got kind of got taken away from, uh, from, from uh, the fan base and they're seeing that sort of play out again. And so it's just kind of these deep emotions that go back, uh, you know, two decades for goodness sakes. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us, John. We, we had a lot of stuff. We want to thank our, uh, the master of the board, Chris Mason, also, AC Wyatt, uh, who oversees everything, 
And then next week, John, 100th show. We've done this 99 times. We're moving to triple figures next next week. Um, if you like it, if you make a comment, if you rate it the five stars, it really helps us get 100 more shows. Uh, but it's uh, 99s in the books. They never said it would last, Andrew. They never did. We, we beat back everybody on this. Well, the one thing people need to know, to have a podcast, all you need is to have a pulse. So it's not exactly a high bar to have a podcast. Our very first podcast, I think that's what uh, Scott Van Pelt, our big get, our very first big get said. He was like, look, see, anybody can do a podcast. Exactly. That is true. We're proving it every week. But we do appreciate you listening, especially uh, if you're listening at this point, because that means you listen to the whole thing. Uh, And so we'll be back next week. And uh, thanks for everything. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.